And now, for your viewing pleasure, the mistress of the macabre, the epitome of evil, the most sinister woman to ever dance on the face of this earth. Fight this! Lonely dog! Bow your head. Kneel and worship at the feet of... In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 229, From Dusk Till Dawn. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And as always, welcome to Verbal Diorama. Whether you are a brand new listener to this podcast, whether you are a regular returning listener, I'm so happy and grateful to have you here for this podcast and for the history and legacy of From Dusk Till Dawn, which is really actually the first time on this podcast I've talked about anything to do with Quentin Tarantino. So that's kind of a big thing, I suppose. But before we jump into From Dusk Till Dawn, I just want to say, as always, thank you so much for all of the wonderful positive feedback that I get for this podcast just generally, but also for the most recent episodes on Poltergeist and Hellraiser. And what I've wanted to do this month in October is I've wanted to look at very different kind of horror movies. Going from something like really campy and fun like Wishmaster to something a bit more different with Poltergeist and again with Hellraiser. All of them are fascinating looks into horror cinema. And again, we're moving into something, again, very different to all of those things. Because whilst I'm not a massive fan of the horror genre, I do appreciate some of the movies within that genre. Movies like Poltergeist and Hellraiser because... Horror can be jump scares and practical effects. And it can also be body horror, an exploration of sexual desire, lust and gratification, and the idea of the pleasure pain theory. But it can also be a cult favourite, semi-serious crime thriller that becomes a vampire movie completely out of the blue. So, okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. And let's jump straight into the trailer for From Dust Till Dawn. Everybody be cool. You be cool. Somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Low profile. You understand the meaning of the words low profile? Sure. Two of America's most dangerous criminals have taken hostages. What is this? It's called a punch. I want to ask you one question, and all I want is a yes or no answer. Do you want to live through this? Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. One night is all that stands between them and freedom. This is my kind of place. But it's going to be one hell of a night. We might be in trouble. There are a bunch of vampires out there trying to get in here and suck fucking blood. Now, their only chance is to fight back. Oh, yeah! 
Clooney, Quentin Tarantino, Juliet Lewis. Welcome to slavery. No thanks. I already had a wife. From dusk till dawn. After a bank hoist with several casualties, bank robber brothers Seth and Richard Gecko continue their crime spree in a convenience store in the middle of the desert while heading to Mexico with a hostage. They decide to stop in a low-budget motel where Richie rapes and murders the hostage. Meanwhile, former minister Jacob Fuller is travelling on vacation with his children Kate and Scott in their RV. Jacob lost his faith after the death of his beloved wife in a car accident and quit his position of pastor of his community and the Fuller family just happened to stop for the night in the same motel that Seth and Richie are in. When Seth sees the Fuller RV, he abducts Jacob and his family to help he and his brother cross the Mexico border, promising to release the family the next morning. They head to the Titty Twister, a truck driver and biker's bar, where Seth will meet with his partner Carlos in the dawn. But soon they discover that the bar is a coven of vampires and they need to fight until dawn to leave the place alive. Let's as always run through the cast. We have Harvey Keitel as Jacob Fuller, George Clooney as Seth Gecko. Quentin Tarantino as Richie Gecko, Juliette Lewis as Kate Fuller, Ernest Liu as Scott Fuller, Salma Hayek as Santanico Pandemonium, Cheech Marin as the Border Guard, Chet Pussy and Carlos, Tom Savini as Sex Machine, Danny Trejo as Razor Charlie, Fred Williamson as Frost, Brenda Hillhouse as Hostage Gloria Hill, Michael Parks as Texas Ranger Earl McGraw, John Saxon as FBI agent Stanley Chase, Kelly Preston as newscaster Kelly Howe, and Mark Lawrence as old-timer motel owner. From Dust Till Dawn has a screenplay by Quentin Tarantino, a story by Robert Kurtzman, and was directed by Robert Rodriguez. And our story starts with Robert Kurtzman, the Wishmaster guy. And honestly, I have such a fondness for Wishmaster. That's episode 226 on the history and legacy of that particular movie. But Wishmaster came after From Dust Till Dawn. And this was a movie that Robert Kurtzman seems to have been eclipsed on thanks to the introduction of Quentin Tarantino. But Kurtzman is pivotal to this story. His love of low-budget films like Assault on Precinct 13 and Race with the Devil served as inspiration for From Dust Till Dawn. It was always planned for From Dust Till Dawn to be a drive-in film. When he was younger, Kurtzman went to the drive-in nearly every weekend. Horror films like Night of the Living Dead, Zombie and Dawn of the Dead would play non-stop from dusk till dawn all through the night. He wanted to create a grim, constrained vampire story where the characters would be isolated in a similar setting to Assault on Precinct 13 and engage in undead combat. From Dusk Till Dawn began life as a low-budget independent film that later expanded into something much larger. Being one-third of the talented makeup company KMBEFX, Alongside Howard Berger and Greg Nicotero, Kurtzman conceived the basic idea of From Dust Till Dawn in an effort to create a project that would truly show off KMB's skills as an FX house, with the idea that he would eventually direct the movie. Obviously, he didn't, and we're going to come back to that. At the time, this was the early 90s, the very early 90s, Quentin Tarantino wasn't Quentin Tarantino. I mean, he was Quentin Tarantino, but he was just Quentin Tarantino. This guy who worked at a video store who dreamed of making movies. And it was at a friend's barbecue when Tarantino first met film producer Lawrence Bender, with whom he'd later discuss an unproduced, dialogue-driven heist movie. With Bender's encouragement, Tarantino wrote a screenplay for the movie in three and a half weeks, 
and Bender was impressed with the script and was able to send it to director Monty Hellman via various industry contacts. Hellman revised the script and assisted Richard N. Gladstein at Live Entertainment, which is now Lionsgate, in obtaining funding for the movie. Hellman originally wanted to direct this movie, but stepped back after Tarantino made it clear that he wanted to direct this movie. And the movie that I'm talking about is Reservoir Dogs. With a $30,000 budget and 16mm black and white format, Quentin Tarantino originally intended to shoot Reservoir Dogs with his friends while he was employed at the Manhattan Beach, California video store, Video Archives. Producer Lawrence Bender would have taken on the role of a police officer pursuing Mr. Pink. Harvey Keitel received the script from Lawrence Bender's acting teacher and took on the role of co-producer and played a significant part in the film as Mr. White, while also reading the script and contributing to the budget, helping to raise it to $1.5 million. Keitel also paid for Tarantino and Bender to host casting sessions in New York, where the duo found Steve Buscemi, Michael Madsen and Tim Roth. Reservoir Dogs would go on to be released in January 1992. It premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. Tarantino wrote, directed and starred in it, as well as Mr. Brown. And obviously, we are also going to come back to Harvey Keitel because he is quite important in this story as well. But even before Reservoir Dogs had started filming in 1990, Tarantino had completed scripts for the likes of Natural Born Killers and True Romance. Meanwhile, Robert Kurtzman had a 20-page story treatment for From Dust Till Dawn, and it was in need of a screenwriter. And a friend of Kurtzman's, John Esposito, was up to do this, but he was busy for six months working on Stephen King's graveyard shift in Maine. And so they decided to look for another writer. Kurtzman had heard about Tarantino through Scott Spiegel and David Goodman, both of whom he knew through Sam Raimi. Yep, that's Sam Raimi. And when Kurtzman got in touch with Tarantino, Tarantino sent him examples of all his completed scripts, and Kurtzman was floored by his dialogue. Soon after receiving those scripts, Kurtzman and Tarantino met, discovered they had similar tastes in films, including those by John Woo, Jackie Chan, and Lucio Fulci. In 1990, Tarantino received his first screenwriting salary, for From Dust Till Dawn, of $1,500, which would have been a lot to a struggling writer at the time. But Tarantino had a catch. He would write the screenplay for From Dust Till Dawn, if KMBEFX, Kurtzman's visual effects company, did the visual effects for his directorial debut, Reservoir Dogs, for free. And this was the deal that went ahead, and this was the deal that was made, and the famous ear-cutting scene in Reservoir Dogs is due to this deal. And as I said, Kurtzman always planned to direct from Dust Till Dawn himself, and between 1990 to 1995, the project was shopped around Hollywood, but it kept getting rejected for being too hardcore and violent. Then, Reservoir Dogs came out in 1992, and Tarantino became a cult name. In 1993, his script for True Romance was released, directed by Tony Scott, which added to Tarantino's popularity. But again, nothing much changed for the fledgling From Dust Till Dawn project. And then in 1994, Pulp Fiction came out. And the effect Pulp Fiction had on independent cinema is still being felt today. It really deserves an episode all by itself, to be honest, which will probably happen at some point. But not only was it a huge critical and commercial success, it won the Palme d'Or at the 1994 Cannes Film Festival. It was nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for John Travolta, Best Supporting Actor for Samuel L. Jackson, and Best Supporting Actress for Uma Thurman. It would go on to win Best Original Screenplay, 
as well as elevating Tarantino to almost godlike directorial proportions. It gave the name Tarantino on a project more oomph, and on the power of Pulp Fiction alone, studios started re-evaluating from dusk till dawn. After several deals that almost happened and many negotiations that went south, Tarantino and Bender finally made a deal with producers Mia Tepa and Gianni Nunari. Robert Rodriguez became interested in the project after Quentin Tarantino showed him a copy of the script. So now the story kind of segues into Robert Rodriguez because he'd also broken out in 1992 with El Mariachi, made on a shoestring $7,000 budget. That movie was acquired by Columbia Pictures who spent several hundred thousand dollars cleaning it up and distributing it in the US, eventually making $2.6 million. And in 1995, he then made the sequel Desperado II in his Mexico trilogy, which starred his second cousin, Danny Trejo, We'll come back to him and also introduce the world to Salma Hayek. And we're going to come back to her too. Now, this is not the first time that I've talked about Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight because it's a banging movie and it's a lot of fun and I recommend it all the time. Please go and watch Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. But it's also not the first time I've talked about a movie featured on this podcast that was going to be a Tales from the Crypt movie. So some examples for you. Death Becomes Her was going to be a Tales from the Crypt movie as was The Frighteners going to be a Tales from the Crypt movie. Death Becomes Her is episode 59 of this podcast. The Frighteners is episode 103. Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight itself is episode 66. But after considering Tarantino's screenplay Fall from Dust Till Dawn, Universal Pictures thought about it as a potential Tales from the Crypt movie and a sequel to Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. Now, Universal Pictures would ultimately go on to produce Tales from the Crypt Bordello of Blood, which has some remarkable similarities to From Dust Till Dawn, including a vampire bar that ends in a massacre, a sexy badass female vampire, a religious lead character, and a wisecracking male lead. And I'm not suggesting that Bordello of Blood copied From Dust Till Dawn in any way. A lot of these are very popular tropes in movies, but it is kind of funny that Bordello of Blood does have those similarities to From Dust Till Dawn. Obviously, Bordello of Blood did not do as well as either Demon Knight or From Dust Till Dawn did. So From Dust Till Dawn was originally established to be a low-budget horror movie, and it was Tarantino who made the deal with Miramax to get From Dust Till Dawn made. But by that point, he decided he didn't want to direct it, and instead, he decided that he wanted his friend Robert Rodriguez to direct it. And not only did he want Robert Rodriguez to direct it, but he also wanted the modest $2 million budget to be increased to $17 million and to have the lead effects team as KMB EFX, including Robert Kurtzman, to continue in the capacity of the visual effects for the movie. And it was at this point that everything happened on From Dust Till Dawn very quickly. They planned to begin filming in the summer of 1995 with the intention of releasing it in Halloween 1995. A completely crazy schedule, but one they were determined to stick to until it became clear that the timeline they had in mind would not allow them to get some of the actors that they wanted. And of course, by this point, Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino were incredibly close. And so Rodriguez would provide Tarantino notes on the script for From Dust Till Dawn. Tarantino would take those notes, return to the script, and significantly revised it to give the main characters more nuance. In his first drafts, he felt like he'd written them as cliches. But he wanted to attract some serious acting talent to this movie. And the only way to do that would be to give them the sort of well-rounded, interesting characters that this movie needed. 
And just on the point of Tarantino, it was actually his idea to play Richie Gecko because he'd always considered a career in acting. And so he thought that it would be absolutely fine for him to take that role. And I guess if you are executively producing and writing a movie, then I'm sure you can find yourself a part in the movie if you want to. Tarantino would turn to his longtime friend Harvey Keitel, who'd obviously acted in two of his earlier films, to play the role of the faithless preacher Jacob. Tarantino claimed that although Keitel wasn't sure if the second half twist would hold up, he was adamant the characters would not change despite the genre shift. The From Dust Till Dawn screenplay also caught the attention of Juliette Lewis, who had starred in Oliver Stone's adaptation of Quentin Tarantino's script for Natural Born Killers. Tarantino went back to the script to give Lewis's character more depth and development as a result of her interest. And it was more difficult to cast Richie's brother, Seth. Regular Tarantino collaborators Michael Madsen, Christopher Walken and John Travolta were all offered the role but all declined it. And it was Robert Rodriguez who spotted George Clooney on the cover of Us magazine and basically said, well, what about this guy? Tarantino had a professional relationship with Clooney because he had directed an episode of ER just a year before and he thought Clooney would be the perfect Seth. He also believed the TV actor had the talent and charisma to succeed on the big screen. And obviously this was before George Clooney was known for kind of being George Clooney because Seth is the immediate antithesis of Dr. Doug Ross, the clean-cut doctor that Clooney played on ER at the time. But Clooney loved the idea of playing someone a bit different, someone a bit twisted. And he came up with the concept for Seth's iconic tattoo with the ink used by the main characters in the New Zealand TV series Once Were Warriors serving as inspiration. There were also a lot of significant supporting parts that needed to be filled, some of which offered the chance to highlight the character actors that Tarantino and Rodriguez had long admired, such as casting the legendary black exploitation actor Fred the Hammer Williamson and also casting Tom Savini. Tom Savini has been mentioned on this podcast a couple of times before. He is a makeup effects master and Savini had met Tarantino at a horror convention a few years before. And he chose the role of Sex Machine over the role of Frost. Savini not only fit right in, but he was also a visual effects mentor to the KMB EFX guys. Rodriguez claimed that after Savini was cast, they wrote even more material for the role of Sex Machine because they just could not get enough of Tom Savini. Cheech Marin plays three distinctly different characters, the border cop, the announcer at the bar, and the Mexican mafia dude who shows up at the end. And apparently this is an homage to classic cinema where often one actor will play multiple characters. The mistress of the macabre, the epitome of evil, the most sinister woman to crawl on the face of the earth, Santanico Pandemonium, was originally called Blonde Death in the script. But when Tarantino was made aware of Salma Hayek in the casting for the movie Four Rooms, he rewrote the character as Latina. Hayek had done Robert Rodriguez a favour in that movie and played a stripper, and she'd obviously go on to star in Desperado. Her time dancing in four rooms not only led to Tarantino creating the character in her image in From Dust Till Dawn, but also naming her after the 1975 Mexican film Santanico Pandemonium, La Sex or Sister, which is a nunsploitation horror film, and it's about a Catholic nun who has visions of another world where Satan is her master. Upon being asked to play Santanico Pandemonium, Tarantino informed Hayek that she would need to perform a dance with a real snake. And Salma Hayek has a genuine fear of snakes. But she agreed to play the part when Tarantino informed her that Madonna was up for the role and Madonna was fine with the idea of dancing with a python. 
So Hayek took the role and she got hypnotised in order to dance with the python. She was in a trance for most of the dance, so she actually doesn't remember it being recorded. It was also essentially an improvised performance too, because practising with a snake was impossible. She was told to feel the music for the scene instead and improvised the dance based on the music with no choreographer. It led to this scene becoming one of the most iconic scenes from the whole movie. With the cast assembled, filming commenced in June 1995 in Lancaster, California, at the convenience store World of Liquor. The Gecko Brothers exiting the convenience store as it explodes was one of the first scenes they filmed. There was obviously no CGI at the time. They were detonating real explosions on a real set that they built. So they had to do it perfectly in one take. Unfortunately, the camera glitched and the take was destroyed. And so they had to rebuild the set and they had to reshoot the scene again towards the end of production. So a significant portion of the movie's first act was filmed first and then came the filming at the set for the Titty Twister, which was built in the Calico Lake dry bed in Barstow, California. And this shoot lasted about five weeks. And then there was the non-union crew, which rattled a few feathers on such a high-profile and expensive production. The International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, or IATSE, wasn't happy, and representatives went to Lawrence Bender and Quentin Tarantino and requested a list of the crew members in order to set up a vote among them regarding whether the shoot ought to be unionised. This request was denied as an invasion of privacy, and it wasn't the first time either had issues with unions. Tarantino has famously refused to join the Writers Guild of America. Lawrence Bender claimed that the cost of using 80 IATSE workers would drive up the budget by $300,000. There were even claims that Tarantino was sending spies to the IATSE convention in Florida in 1995. Obviously, that did all get sorted out in the end, but it's not the first time that Robert Rodriguez has used non-union crew on his movies. The structure of From Dust Till Dawn is probably one of its most well-known and controversial features. With the sharp dialogue, character monologues and unexpected violence, Tarantino's signature style of filmmaking is evident in the first half of the movie, which is more of a crime thriller. But then once the protagonists get to Mexico, it becomes a bloody horror movie with grindhouse violence and speciality weapons that are typical of Rodriguez's work. Rodriguez would say, quote, It was like two movies in one. You didn't mention vampires the whole first half of the movie, and then it switches. It was our early attempt at doing a double feature within the same feature. Two genres for the price of one. It was just a very cool, bold time when everybody was just trying different things, unquote. Tarantino and Rodriguez would go on to do their double grindhouse feature, Tarantino's Death Proof and Rodriguez's Planet Terror in 2009, paying homage to exploitation films of the 1970s. It was KMB EFX's task to create the countless practical vampire makeup effects, the bites, the ripped throats, the gunshots, and even the gigantic rat dog monster that seems to come out of nowhere. A scene was filmed featuring a makeup effect where one of the stripper vampires has her stomach open into a large mouth, a little bit like that scene in The Thing, before shoving a victim's head into it and getting it bitten off. The effect was so graphic that even Tarantino didn't want to see it. During the final battle, KMB made six monster costumes, and these were reused repeatedly in the bath, filled with fully transformed vampires. And the bar itself is a masterpiece of production design. The Titty Twister is a fully realised character. It has a multitude of different textures and meanings. So you've obviously got the main bar, the neon, which is the eye candy, the thing that lures people into the bar. And then behind that facade, you've got 
these cobwebbed catacombs and retrofitted lights and dusty old interior corridors. It's very clear that this is not just some random bar in the desert, that there is more to this building. And even at the end, we see the camera panning back for a wide shot matte painting. And this painting was done by Sid Dutton of Illusion Arts. And in the shot, we see that the behind the bar itself is a steep trench full of rusted metallic remains of abandoned cars and vehicles, some of which seem to date back to the early 20th century. And it appears to be that the Titty Twister is the top of an old Aztec pyramid, which hints at the Mesoamerican mythology that they would go on to explore in the various sequels and TV series based on this movie. Robert Rodriguez was shooting so much footage of From Dust Till Dawn that he thought he would have a two and a half hour movie on his hands. And this was a long shoot. There was long hours, long days shooting this movie. But producer Elizabeth Avellan, who was also Rodriguez's former wife, would say that Miramax did not interfere with the making of this film at all and that the company was happy to just let the filmmakers take their time. They didn't follow up and they had very little interference in the making of this movie, which I think is why this movie does feel like such a Tarantino slash Rodriguez production. Speaking of vampires and someone who seemingly never ages, a segue into the obligatory Keanu reference for this episode. So this is a part of the podcast where I try to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves for no reason other than he is the best of men and all men all across the world should always aim to be a little bit more Keanu. And I do try when I do the obligatory Keanu references to not reuse anything. But sometimes it's a bit tough, especially when it's a genre that Keanu himself hasn't really been particularly prevalent in. So the obligatory Keanu reference for this movie is obviously going to be his starring role as Jonathan Harker in Bram Stoker's Dracula, which came out a few years prior to this movie. It is obviously the pinnacle of Dracula movies, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. But I did also find a very interesting piece of information about the fact that Salma Hayek did actually audition for Trinity in The Matrix, but she never got a call back. So I guess we could use either as the obligatory Keanu reference. And like I always say, sometimes the obligatory Keanu references are very tedious, sometimes they're very easy, and sometimes they're just rehashes of other ones because I'm just running out of references now. Now, obviously, speaking of Salma Hayek and that particular dance, music is very important to this movie. And the majority of the album's tracks are Texas Blues, and it includes songs by ZZ Top, Jimmy Vaughan, and Stevie Ray Vaughan. Graham Ravel wrote the score for this movie and the soundtrack album does include brief samples of his music. And that soundtrack album also includes dialogue snippets as well because obviously the dialogue in this movie is one of the best things about this movie. And obviously the soundtrack also features the Chicano rock group Tito and Tarantula who are the band who play in the Titty Twister bar as well. So when it came to post-production, Robert Rodriguez also served as the film's editor. So Post-production was forced to wait until after filming was completed. Normally, an editor would be putting together a rough cut while the cameras are still rolling. But that meant that if From Dust Till Dawn was to make its intended 22nd of December release date, a two or three month post-production schedule would have to be whittled down to a few weeks. And so that really weird Christmas release was actually extended and Miramax gave it a little leeway by moving it to the 19th of January 1996 it was still a very tight squeeze because filming ended in August 1995 and so that gave Robert Rodriguez only four months to do post-production. 
But when From Dust Till Dawn was released on the 19th of January 1996, it opened at number one at the US box office, taking in about $10 million in its first week. It then dropped over 50% the next week and 50% the week after that. It stayed in the top 10 for three weeks before dropping out altogether. And it would appear that audiences were not really expecting maybe what they were expecting because the scenes of excessive violence, blood and carnage led to Ireland banning from Dust Till Dawn for being, quote, irresponsible and totally gratuitous. And this ban would actually not be lifted until 2004. Nevertheless, on its final budget of $19 million, From Dust Till Dawn would go on to gross $25.8 million in the US and $33.5 million internationally for a total worldwide gross of $59.3 million. Not exactly a huge smash hit, but it did then go on to do great business in the home video market, which would prompt two direct-to-DVD sequels. It would receive mixed responses from critics, currently sits at 63% on Rotten Tomatoes, but Roger Ebert would go on to give it three out of four stars. And it would cement George Clooney's cinematic career. He'd go on to star in One Fine Day with Michelle Pfeiffer, The Peacemaker with Nicole Kidman, Batman and Robin, which is Batman and Robin, and the terrific Out of Sight with Jennifer Lopez. It would also cement Tarantino as a better writer-director than an actor. And we'll just leave it at that. There were two director video follow-ups, like I said, the sequel from Dust Till Dawn to Texas Blood Money in 1999, and the prequel from Dust Till Dawn 3, The Hangman's Daughter in 2000. Michael Parks makes an appearance in From Dust Till Dawn and The Hangman's Daughter, and Danny Trejo is the only actor to appear in all three. And Tarantino, Rodriguez and Lawrence Bender would go on to produce all three as well. Taking full advantage of his own TV network, focusing on programming for Latinx audiences, From Dust Till Dawn the series was produced and directed by Robert Rodriguez, based on the films and debuted on his El Rey network in March 2014. And the goal of the show was to give viewers a deeper understanding of Mesoamerican mythologies, and Aztec and Mayan mythologies, and how and where a vampire culture could have existed back then, while also delving deeper into the characters and plot of the movie. It had three seasons, but the actors were released from their contracts in October 2016, after the third series production concluded, and the series has never officially been cancelled, but it's also never come back either, so maybe like a vampire, it's just a bit undead. And this is a movie that feels like a Tarantino movie. It also feels like a Rodriguez movie. It's one of those projects you'd expect from two people with very distinct visual styles to put together. So you have the first half of the movie and the other person takes the second half and let's share like good children. The first half of the movie is, unsurprisingly, if you've seen Tarantino's work, nasty and often scarier than the actual horror element. Both Seth and Richie Gecko are not to be trifled with, but Tarantino as murdering rapist Richie Gecko, a man who clearly has some sort of mental illness and hallucinates people saying or doing things. You feel like Seth has more of a moral compass, but he also abducts, threats and is violent towards multiple people. So it's almost like the lesser of two evils really doesn't work. Luckily, George Clooney is so charismatic that he makes Seth feel like actually a well-rounded individual despite him being a criminal. His trademark head bobs, tilts and sarcastic smiles are all present and accounted for and he's a commanding presence with a good handle on Tarantino's dialogue. And the dialogue really is terrific. As I said, good writer, not a great actor. 
and the callbacks and references to other movies, including his own movies, are very typical of Tarantino. Harvey Keitel is almost unrecognisable, though, as gentle preacher Jacob. He goes from a beaten-down widower to a guy warding off a group of marauding vampires by fashioning a cross from a baseball bat and a shotgun, blasting creatures into oblivion with a makeshift crucifix. When I announced on social media I was doing this movie, it got a very positive response, and I think we all know why. Because a generation of young boys, and possibly young women also, first had eyes on Salma Hayek in this movie, and she became not only a poster child for the movie, but also the poster on possibly many a teenage wall. She is radiant, and honestly, while this is fictional, I'm sure she is a genuine vampire, because she still looks as beautiful today as she did in this movie. Unlike most vampire movies, this eschews the tragedy and romance aspects and just becomes a balls-to-the-wall survival story. These vampires won't love you. They will rip out your throat. And while the effects have aged, the scenes in the Titty Twister are still as bizarre and fun as they always have been. Considering the studios thought that this movie was unsellable, it's gone on to become a cult classic. Decades later, this gory, hyperactive vampire flick still holds a special place with Robert Rodriguez. Quote, We've always loved this movie, we loved making it, and we loved the fan base it had, unquote. And I guess the moral of this story is, you never quite know how your story is going to end. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on From Dust Till Dawn. And if you have enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review wherever you found this podcast. Please take a moment to follow me on social media. I am at Verbal Diorama. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky and Letterboxd. And if you've really enjoyed this podcast, then simply tell a friend or family member about this podcast. So the next episode, I'm going to be moving away from horror completely into something a bit more lovely and life-affirming, actually. The music of ABBA has been a regular fixture of radio, TV, birthday parties and weddings for 50 years. And in 1999, their music was adapted into a stage musical. That musical is in the top 10 longest running stage productions in both Broadway and the West End. And in 2008, a film adaptation was released. Yes, you guessed it. The next episode is going to be on the 2008 film adaptation of Mamma Mia. And I'm really excited to be talking about Mamma Mia. This is a movie that I know my own mother, my own Mamma Mia, loves very much. And I really, really genuinely love Mamma Mia. I think it's such a wonderful, sweet movie. And of course, the music of ABBA is cross-generational. Everyone loves ABBA. And so please join me next week for the remarkably different, very much so to From Dust Till Dawn, but the history and legacy of Mamma Mia. And if you've listened to this podcast and you want to help support this podcast financially, you are under no obligation to do so and you never will be. But... If you do, you can in a couple of ways. You could go to verbaldiorama.com slash tips and give a one-off tip to this podcast. Or you could sign up to become a patron at verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. And you could join the amazing patrons of this podcast. They are Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Kat, Andy, Mike, Luke, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Lisa, Sam, Jack, Dave, Stuart, Nicholas, Zoe, Kev, Pete, Heather, Danny, Ali, Tyler, Stu, Brett, Philip and Michelle. You can also get in touch with me if you wish. You can email verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can also find my website at verbaldiorama.com. 
and you can find other bits and pieces that I do at filmstories.co.uk. And finally... Everybody be cool. You be cool. Bye. Movie should know. Movie should know.